Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show and welcome to your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, freedom, patriotism, and frankly, just the best way to live your life. And we are here to talk about Virginia because this is an exciting time. We are now in the election season and as many of you know uh, the Virginia State Senate is up for grabs and Governor Yunkin this week was on the Laura Ingram show and talked about how he needs to flip the Virginia State Senate because he has the House of Delegates and of course he's got the governor's mansion but you know we, we need the Senate because we need to repair Virginia uh, uh, repair Virginia rather from the damage that was created uh, during the last two years uh, by Democrats as they just went into complete um, really just over control and destroyed our economy destroyed our schools destroyed the mental health of virginians we have an opiate epidemic we have human trafficking we have all kinds of issues that are going on and we have to repair these issues and we're going to do that by getting the senate back and i am a candidate for the virginia 33rd and we're going to have on the show today mike allers who is running for the virginia 28th seat and mike is uh, a friend of the show he's been on here um, several times before and he's going to talk to us about his campaign i'll talk about my campaign talk about what's going on in the legislature right now and some things that you need to know about and what we plan on doing uh to fix this great commonwealth that we're in so with that um mike you're on the line here and just uh say hello to the listeners for us hey michael how you doing today uh thanks for having me on again i really appreciate it i really like this opportunity and um like you said, we have a lot of work to do, and it's going to require new blood, Mike. It really is. It's going to require you and me and uh, Matt Strickland up there in the 27th and all sorts of folks jumping on board to make sure that we do flip the Senate, help Governor Yunkin, and bring it in a direction that's successful and new uh, because the old has not been getting it done. So we need to make it happen. You're right. So, you know, Mike, the legislature is in session right now. And, you know, for, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that don't even know that, which is kind of sad. But, uh, you know, the you know, listen, uh, for those that are listening, um, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably sort of a, a political junkie. But a lot of people don't realize that there are some states that have legislatures that are full-time positions and others where it's a part-time position. The Commonwealth of Virginia is a part-time position. And so because the legislature is not in session year-round, I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to it when it is in session. But it is in session as we speak. And there's a lot going on, Mike. And um, maybe go through some of the highlights. A lot, there's a lot of issues that are going on, but maybe some of the highlights and maybe Maybe get some of your, your opinions on those, if you if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, you know, some of the things that are going on is certainly uh, this most recent uh, victory, I guess you could call it, where they're talking about <clears throat> this bill that declares um, the opiates that come in from China, etc., as basically weapons of terror. Now, um, my my question, I'm not I'm not gonna. I'm not going to downplay that that's not a good thing that we're going to declare it. I'm not going to say that that was uh, a bad idea. But <clears throat> legislation like that is almost, it's like, hey, where's it been? It's not like um, fentanyl and all these things that have been coming across the border since 2008. You know, they've just really been pouring across. And once they became newsworthy and once COVID kind of coupled with it, suddenly there's folks looking to write laws to uh, condemn it when it should have been condemned a long time ago, before we started having Narcan in every cop car. Um, there's other things. There's, a, there's legislation regarding transparency for parents and schools, uh, parental rights. There's certainly a lot of bills of that nature. Um, there's some bills that have been uh, voted upon with regard to gambling, some kind of gambling bills that have been uh, batted around. And I know that your friend and mine, uh, Amanda Chase, uh, voted against one recently, saying it wasn't good uh, to, you know, put the future of Virginia's economy on the back of gambling, which I got to be honest, I'm, uh, I think I'm with her. I worry about 
I do worry, in all honesty, about vices guiding our economy forward. Um, I look forward to getting there because I don't think that the left is entirely serious about letting parents uh, enjoy the transparency with schools that they should. I don't see the bills such as the uh, success um, <clears throat> bill as far as the success, success accounts with regard to inching Virginia towards school choice. I don't see those necessarily succeeding just yet. Virginia doesn't have that climate. Um, so we need to go there. We need to fight uh, when, when we get there. And we need to come up with uh, bills such as maybe moving forward with a school choice bill that is not so much palatable, but understandable to the folks on the left. I really think that they misunderstand that um, when legislature, legislators excuse me, come up with a bill that suggests school choice, that it's an immediate close down the school in your neighborhood kind of bill, when in reality, it is something that probably just gives public schools a little bit of a kick in the butt and says, hey, look, there are folks out there seeking something better something less invasive in their lives, something that they have a choice and they have uh, control over. So you better get your act together because competition eliminates complacency. So the left, I believe, can understand that. I just don't believe that we have folks that are currently arguing that um, in a sense that allows the left to get on board. Um, just because, you know, the sides are come from different uh, you know, paradigms doesn't mean we can't get them to understand that we're actually arguing for children. We're not arguing for a political uh, point of view. So, yeah, uh, and I, I you, wow, there's a lot to digest there, Mike. There really is, and and I'm going to kind of work backwards with this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call some people out here, and uh, you know I I know my opponents that right now the, the Democrats going to have to have their primary uh, before we go into the general election, and right now that's Carol Foy and that's Hala Ayala, and and I'm going to tell the voters that are out there right now that if uh, you let me let me let me let's start with this, Mike. How many of you care about your children? And I'm assuming that all of you do. How many of you care about your communities? And I'm sure about all that all of you do. How about jobs? How about keeping money in your pocket? And I'm sure all of you do. And what you need to understand is that the opponents that we have, and particularly the ones that I'm facing, and that's Carol Foy and Hala Ayala, these are not the people that you want in office. Because, well, first of all, uh, Mike, looking at, at public safety, you mentioned addiction. You mentioned gambling. Um, crime, we'll throw that in there. And, you know, if you think for a moment that these people um, are on the side of safety, public safety, or and the, what they're going to do, Mike, is they're going to tell you that they are, but they're wholly ill-equipped to make the improvements in law enforcement that uh, that that they that that needs to happen and ex exercise the leadership with law enforcement the way that that uh, it should be exercised. Um, you know, the number one role of government, Mike, is the protection of the people, the protection of the people. And if we can't do that, then we can't do anything else. And then every other issue is secondary to that particular issue. And so uh, we we have to we have to have that now along with public safety is like you just said the education of our children because everybody wants their child to have a good education well we've destroyed that over the last couple of years and the people that we're running against contributed to that that problem and we have to get we have to remove these people from office and prevent those that want to perpetuate that uh that agenda keep them out of office right and then when it comes to all these other vices that you talked and i like how you you talked about that that the virginia economy should not be um you know building its economy upon these these issues you know mike just take gambling you mentioned gambling here a little while ago i think it's interesting you can hear on the local radio new, new, uh, news stations here where they're they're constantly promoting gambling sites and gambling apps but i've noticed now they've come out with a new app to limit your use 
of the very things that they've been promoting, um, that they'll, they'll, they'll shut you down, they will put you in a timeout, they will limit the amount of gambling that you can do. That should be a clue to everybody right there, that if, if I have to come out with an app to prevent you from using the very app that we've been promoting, that's a problem. And the reason why it's a problem is because it's known as a process addiction. You have you have um, chemical addictions and you have process addictions, and that's a process addiction. And let me tell you, Mike, you can destroy your life overnight with a gambling problem. And I, for one, um, am not somebody that thinks that the, the Commonwealth of Virginia, the state of Virginia, the government of Virginia should be participating in that. So I know that's a, it's a lot right there, Mike, but you, you kind of got me uh, spooled up there <laughs> in no, some of these I, issues. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm going to go one step farther, and and this might make me look a little kooky, I guess, but I can't stand the fact that it, to me, to me, now I'm a white male, you know, but to me it seems racially targeted, especially the gambling. Um, I, I, I look at the celebrities that they're using to promote certain gambling sites. I look at uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Fox, right? Is his name Jimmy Fox? Yeah, Jimmy Fox, right? The, the actor. Um, yeah, James Fox. Or I, yeah. James Fox. Uh, is it Jimmy or James? I don't know. I forgot his first name. I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, he was fantastic in Ray Charles. Amazing guy. I see him. I see Ge- Kevin Garnett. I see Kevin Hart. I really think, seem to think that um, it seems to me that it is certainly promoting uh, toward a certain race. I, I, I can't help it. To think that it isn't, which I think is unconscionable. I think that these folks are role models. I think that they aren't taking their role seriously and they're uh, on commercials, they're on billboards. I have yet to see uh, a person, a white person on one of the billboards promoting Virginia gambling. And and maybe I'm, maybe I'm blind, but I sit there going, wait a second, what are we doing? Why is that? It, it worries me. It really worries me. Um, it, it, those kinds of things I, I think we have to work on, and I, I worry greatly. But the thing that you brought up with um, regard to gambling and that being a process addiction, and now suddenly, all of a sudden, you'll hear, you will hear like a, a Virginia lottery commercial, right? And at the end, it'll say, if you have a problem with your uh, gambling, you can call 1 800 blah, 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 right? Too late. No one's hanging on for the phone number. You know what I mean? If I have a problem, you just you just got me already with the commercial and I'm out spending 20 bucks I can't afford on lottery tickets. Or, you know, it's it's really something that's, um, I mean, I think folks aren't hearing those warnings. I don't think people are hearing the help numbers. It's really just like the fact when you look at a package of cigarettes, look how big the warning label is on, is on this uh, package. I mean, since 1966, Mike, do you see cigarettes slowing down at all? You know, no, and the fact the mere the mere fact that they put these warnings on there is telling you that they recognize that they understand that the this is a, a problem. It it just mm-hmm. is, and that's that's something that I'm I'm very concerned about because we very particularly much. after COVID, uh, Mike. I, I tell you, I see every single day when I when I go to work, and 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 if you guys are new to this program, you know I work as a as a therapist in a, a drug and uh, alcohol treatment program and you see people come in and their lives are just devastated absolutely devastated and they don't understand that these things are problems take marijuana for example you know people say to me mike i don't understand i i have a, a medical card from my doctor saying that this is this was going to be helpful this was going to be therapeutic and then we, we tell them that this is a, an addiction issue for them and it's progressive and it's deadly they're, they're shocked they're like well i don't understand my doctor supported this or the state legalized this and i think that people People have to understand, you know, Mike, when we run for office like you and I are doing, you become the village leader. You you become the person that is looking after the safety. We have to promote the health and the welfare of the public. And that's what we are doing. That's what we're tasked to do. And the fact that uh, we have legislators that are moving forward with issues and promoting issues that um, are detrimental to the health and the welfare and safety of our citizens, as you said, is unconscionable. And we cannot 
not have that. And we should not be promoting these things. At a very minimum, at a very minimum, we should be explaining to the public that if they if they decide that they want to go forward with these very addictive um, um, uh, activities, we should at least be warning the public about what those things are. Because you rightly pointed out um, if you pick up a pack of cigarettes or chewing tobacco or a bottle of beer, there's warning labels on this. At least we're honest about that. And we put these warning labels on letting people know that this is a dangerous substance. And uh, But we don't do that with marijuana. In fact, uh, you know, Mike, I'll just share with you something that I found appalling. I was driving by a, um, uh, well, I won't mention the name of the supermarket, but it was a supermarket near my house that has a pharmacy on the inside. And outside the, um, the, the supermarket, right out in the, where all the shrubbery was, you know, the, the flowers and things. It was one sign after another, almost like it was a political campaign. You know, when in political campaigns where, you know, a candidate will put one sign after another, you know, down a, blo- a city block. That's the way it was, it, it, explaining that people could come into this particular pharmacy and get a medical marijuana um, card so they could they could use medical marijuana. <clears throat> now, it's, I found it interesting that this pharmacy didn't advertise that you could come in and get a, a bottle of aspirin or get uh, Robitussin or anything else. It was medical marijuana. And why is that? Because it's money. This is a money grab. That's all it is. That's all it is. And then many of these people end up in treatment centers. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If any one of you spent one day with me in the treatment center and saw what I saw, it would piss you off. It would piss you off if you saw it. But we don't have people, Mike, like you and I standing up and talking to the public about it. You know, Mike, well, you know, to be honest, I, t- I talk to people about this and they go, well, Mike, you, you really can't feel the way you feel and uh, about certain things because it's anti-business. And I'm going, oh, my God, I go, I go, I, I, I just I'm tormented when people say things like that because I'm not anti-business. I'm just pro-life and I'm pro-children and I'm pro-health. If we have an unhealthy commonwealth, an unhealthy country, our insurance rates go through the roof. Our life expectancies go down. The quality of our lives go down. Children have to watch their parents die in hospitals riddled with cancers that were really self-inflicted. And then we're, I mean, we spent the 80s and the 90s in courtrooms with people suing these big you know, tobacco firms and everything else saying, you gave me this addiction. Well, what year are we going to go back into the courtroom and say, you know, who who do we blame now for the addictions we're going to have in 2030? I mean, movies were made. You know, I mean, you look at The Rainmaker or movies like that. I believe that was about um, tobacco. Or you look at... Um, any of the movies. There was another movie with John Cusack. A lot of movies regarding industries that people took to task because of the addictions they had or because of someone in their family dying. And I worry about folks. I mean, too bad we just can't get addicted to healthier modes or healthier things. We're, we're so bent on changing our the way we feel, the, our, our reality, are getting a buzz or whatever it might be. Um, and we believe, we're so apt to believe doctors when they do prescribe something like you mentioned, that uh, it, it's really, to me, it's tragic. I mean, I've had two knee replacements, 14 knee surgeries altogether. I'm telling you, the hospital hands out um, oxy like it's candy or they want to. And I say, listen, I don't even, my body doesn't even respond to pain medication. Oh, here you go. I'm like, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. My body just doesn't respond to it. I don't, don't even give me the prescription. I don't need it. I, I, it doesn't work, you know? And you got to basically talk people out of it. So where does this come from? Where did this mindset come from? It's, it's, um, it's frightening. Now, you know what? Can I, can I back up to something you, you were talking about before? You were, Yeah, of course. You were talking about. You were talking about your um, your opponents. Uh, what was it? It's Foy and Halala. Uh, Ayala. Yeah. Foy and Ayala. I don't want to. Say, and I don't want to say that incorrectly. That's insulting. But you know, you you have those folks um, running, 
And they're not going to run on anything like this, Mike. Your, yours, your campaign, and, and I know you are a solid, um, certainly a, a forthright, and, and not, not righteous in a bad way, but certainly righteous in a good way, uh, man. And your opponents are just going to kind of tell people what they want to hear. And, and especially you had mentioned crime and you had mentioned police. The, the funny thing about the left is they come very late to the ball game. So think of a football game and the other team is knocking the hell out of one team and they, they knock them back 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Well, that's really what defund the police did. And that's really what all the destructive rhetoric about police uh, departments and sheriff's departments has done. And all the Democrats really want to do to keep with that football analogy is to really bring the ball back to the line of scrimmage where it was before they started screwing with it. They don't want to do what you want to do. They don't want to repair and excel, accelerate on how the police department should be. They don't want to do that. You know, uh, you want to bring it beyond where it was so that it could then again be fighting crime the way it should be in a proactive sense. So I think the same goes for what this stuff that we're talking about right now. They're not going to combat anything that you're talking about. They're not going to come to the table with your knowledge of addiction and how destructive it could be to uh, the Commonwealth's families and children and psyche and filling our hospitals and requiring cop cars to have Narcan and all the kind of nonsense that goes on and basically eradicate uh, a generation of kids. They're not going to do that. The people that are in, in your listening audience, even those who consider themselves on the left, need to really embrace the fact that you're going to be a candidate that moves Northern Virginia in a different direction. Um, and this isn't, I believe, and this sounds naive, but I don't believe the things you and I are talking about are necessarily grounded in right or left. I think they're good for all. Yeah, and that's the way to look at it. <clears throat> um you're absolutely right, and I think that that's a great analogy, is clearly defunding the police, clearly beating the police up, has, has destroyed the country. Uh, every imaginable crime statistic has gone up in the last two years. Every crime statistic. And and if you're a listener of this podcast, you know that we pointed out on this podcast a couple of years ago that after the Derek Chauvin um, incident up in Minneapolis, we pointed out that what the demonization of all police what it's going to do it's going to it's going to reduce recruiting rates and it's going to make departments lower standards and bring in people who had no business being police officers and that is exactly what we saw in memphis and we predicted that we predicted that a couple of years ago and that's what happened now my opponents aren't equipped to fix this and and by the way i'm just going to throw out i'm going to throw this out who do you think a chief of police or a sheriff would rather talk to and work with? Somebody that goes out and campaigned, has campaigned in the past on demonizing the police and defunding the police, or somebody like myself who's worked in the training environment and has, has trained police officers and police executives all across the country and has worked in the addiction field and can help them become better and will hold people accountable for any misdeeds. Because that's something else that we need to talk about, Mike, is the leadership, leadership in our police departments, leadership in our state, leadership in our government, because we are lacking leadership top to bottom at the federal level in the state level level michael we have people that have been working just to get in office for their own personal gain but we don't really have those statesman leaders that that we need to get us out of the predicament that we are in because we are losing this country right now is losing but i for one am not going to give up on this nation or this the great state of virginia we're going to make it better but folks we have to have statesman leaders in the state house uh, what do you think about that well, I'm just saying, you know, it's interesting when you said they want to get in office. They do want to just get in office to get in office. They want the power. They want to be around their their cronies. Uh, they definitely want to be, they're baptizing these uh, people to join the ranks of the establishment, you know, nearly from birth. And 
they certainly don't want regular schmoes like you and I to get in there. And, um, you know, you see them. I, I, I see my opponent in, in my district, in the 28th district. I see he's done, he's written bills like HB 257 that really, the, the nickname for that is that predator bill that really prompted or allowed for that loud incident to take place that catapulted the governor into office. Or I actually would look at that little six-year-old shooting his teacher uh, also being to blame for the HB 257 uh, predator bill because it allowed principals to um, discern whether or not a particular act by a child in school should actually be involve police officers. When when I was the school administrator, I, it's just not the way it worked. Um, I, if a six-year-old or a five-year-old did something, you know, something by definition criminal, uh, the police were brought in. And now whether or not a, a local sheriff would say or a local police department would say, hey, this is a crime or whatever we got to push forward was unlikely five, six-year-old kid. But the bottom line is, you do not let these things go unreported. So, you know, you look at an HB 257 or you look at like uh, that farm bill that they were trying to get farm tags on saying that some people were trying to really get around the system or the what was dubbed the bingo bill, uh, a bill saying that folks were trying to, you know, misuse their, their 501Cs or whatever it might be with regard to raising money through bingo and other activities. Those things have been bills that have been written. And these guys that stay in office, these ladies that stay in office, think that if they stay in office long enough, they could repeal or rewrite the bills that they actually screwed up on and serve long enough to rewrite them. I mean, you're supposed to get them right the first time. You're supposed to go out there and, you know, have enough folks on board to really take it from all different angles so that you understand that when you're writing a bill, it's a bill that serves all people, not yourselves. And, um, you know, you talk about statesmanship and you talk about leadership. Um, and, and, you know, and then prior to that, you were talking about lowering the standards on police departments. If we lower the standards for the rank and file on the police departments, sheriff's departments, and we do that, we're going to wind up with what just happened in Memphis. We're going to wind up with uh, people doing heinous things that um, really demoralize all police departments. When, when incidents happen, it affects all cops, all cops. It's not, it's not just a, it, it is that, that pebble in a pond with the concentric circles you and I have talked about so often that go out from that, that pebbles drop and really just affect all the shorelines. And so when the, you lower the standards for the rank and file, you have no choice but to look for leaders from the lower standards as well. So that kind of movement doesn't just affect the regular cops on the beat. It affects the leadership. And as you go up, it affects that as well. And, you know, eventually the, the, the upper bosses. So we need to, go in the other direction. You and I both believe in an educated police force. We, I believe in a, a, a police college that I've spoken of before. And I know that you're, you're on board with me as well. I, I would look to you as a partner to make sure that Virginia police officers are the best trained, best educated, best vetted, most ethical. All of those things come from education. And we need to make sure that they're in the best condition as well. And they're out on the beat being role models rather than acting like a bunch of thugs like those guys did down in Memphis, taking the life of someone for no reason. And, and, and oddly, not even taking into account that they were filming them their own crime. Um, that's, that's just beyond the pale, actually. Well, it, it's come out, Mike, that that was actually a revenge beating, that one of the yeah. officers and the victim knew each other, and one was having sex with the other guy's um, significant other. I mean, and that's, yeah. just, I mean, what kind of, what kind of crap is that? I mean, that, I, I tell you, Mike, I, I tell you, and I know you're the same way. If you and I were in the Virginia State Legislature, uh, I would lead an investigation into that. And we would get to the bottom of how these individuals got into the department 
to begin with. But you and I know the answer to that. We know how and why they got into the department to begin with, because in order to fill bodies, because you can't not have a police department, right? Can can we just stipulate that? You can't, Mm -hmm. no reasonable person believes that our society is going to exist without some sort of police department, right? Or a police activity. You have to have that. All right. So the what we want to do is have the best possible uh, police forces that we, we can put together. So we need to stop the rhetoric that we're going to defund the police. We're going to get rid of the police, which is what my opponents have done over the last two years and get rid of that. And just realize that we have to take what we have and make it as good as we can. But I'm going to tell you right now, absolutely under no circumstances would I ever tolerate that behavior in any agency in Virginia. And I would lead the charge, Mike, and I know you would too, lead the charge of getting to the bottom of that and and, um, having these people prosecuted to the, the fullest extent of the law. Because people need to understand, the people that hate bad cops more than anyone else on the planet are good cops. All right. Good this point. idea that all cops are bad is absolutely not true. You know, I'm I'm very critical of the FBI. You guys know that. And I spent, you know, just under 21 years in the FBI. So I, I might know a few a thing or two about the FBI. And I'm very, very critical. But I also know that the vast majority of people in the organization are good people. It's a very, very small number of people that uh, have become corrupt. Okay. And um, but that's that's what happens in the uh, in with the police departments that are out there. And every profession has uh, people that are bad apples. But we have to deal with the people that are doing that. But raise the standards. And and I really um, and you and I as time goes on, we're going to talk about this more and more and more about creating a police college and supporting a police college, and then really uh, ensuring that the police departments and sheriff's offices in Virginia are the best trained and educated in the nation, Mike, in the nation. And then in turn, the best paid. And, and, that and too, yeah. When, when, when you, I mean, the benefit of the police college idea, and I've been, I've been floating that for a number of years, but it's something I'm, I'm married to. The benefit of that would be, I as, you know, like my, my sheriff is Sheriff Steve Smith here in Greene County, uh, Virginia. He could say, okay, uh, Joey Smith, we are selecting you to go to the police college. So we put you through this process of hiring. We are sponsoring you to go to the police college. You are getting your degree, four-year degree. Uh, Throughout your four years, you will have certain breakout sessions where you would do like internships, maybe over the summer, what have you. I, I don't have the perfect design just yet, but it will allow for this cop to have um, hands-on experiences with Sheriff Smith's department, for argument's sake. And then after the four years, um, ha- let there be an agreement that this cadet, who is now a college graduate, now owes the department that sponsored him, or any ladies that go through it as well, say six, eight years, and then their college is paid for. So you can get sponsored by a locality to attend the college, get your training through that locality, and guarantee that you're going to serve that locality without taking off after three years because you can make more money in another department. So, you know, we could build longevity and we could build really successful police forces. But again, Nearly everything, I know it seems oversimplified. I just think most stuff comes back to education. I don't care what you're talking about. You're talking about addiction. You're talking about, you know, crime. Whatever it is, it comes back to being proactive. And being proactive means teaching people what you want them, what you want them to know and learn. And you could combat certain things that we, we are currently seeing. Now, um, you have a challenge ahead of you, no doubt. You have a, a D plus whatever um, district up there. But, folks, uh, you need to know, Mike Bandmeter is not just uh, that single flavor guy that is going to really only appeal to Republicans like me. He's speaking, and Michael, you know this about yourself, you're speaking truth. And, you know, your background with addictions and the FBI, et cetera. The folks on the other side really should take a long look at you and realize that there truly is no comparison. Um, you know, the, the two uh, Democratic competitors you have up there 
really on paper and in practice can't compete with you. So um, I, I think your listeners really have to take that to heart and spread the word. That's where I'm thinking. Yeah. I, if, if your goal is to have a more dangerous community and um, uh, children that are not educated in a way that would make them competitive on the world stage, if that's what you want, if that's truly what you want, then vote for them. But and I'm being very serious about this. The uh, the future is uh, we can't have that future. We just can't. And and the same okay. is true with uh, with you as Mike. And it does come back to education. You know, I uh, I actually during my the the graduate program that I had for to study for addiction, um, it was interesting. We we talked about education and, and addiction, and. You know, hearkening back to the Reagan administration, you know, mo- most people, you know, our age, Mike, you know, you, for, for you and I, remember the um, the D.A.R.E. program, and we remember the Nancy Reagan's old adage, you know, just say no to drugs. You remember all that, Mike? Remember all that? And what they found was that was an incredibly uh, unsuccessful program. Just say no. Just say no. Just say no. It, it was very unsuccessful. But what they found what they did find in this one study that I, I read was it, it wasn't, you know, and God bless Nancy Reagan. She was very well-intentioned and, you know, just a wonderful lady. Uh, no, this I'm not disparaging her whatsoever, but it was just a very ineffective program. But what they found was the more the kids were educated on the dangers and the disease model of addiction and the progressive, the, the chronic progressive um, and primary um, diagnosable um, issue that addiction was, the more that kids understood that, the less likely they were to, to use drugs and, and drink alcohol. And that's, so it comes back to what you were just saying, and that was education. Even the scared straight programs of the, if the 80s, if you remember that, they were largely ineffective. It was education about addiction that helped these kids. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. It was education that, that put the brakes on AIDS. It was education that, you know, turned around STDs. It was education that said, look, man, we got to wise up, kids. You got to understand that your, your, your behaviors are really putting your whole life at risk. And it's endemic at this point. Uh, and, and, you know, we look at, um, I, I, I know people, Nancy took a beating for that when we were kids, you and I, with that just say no, because it was kind of trite, but, um, the people that actually were able to say just say no were people that probably like kids like, you know, I felt I felt empowered because I was well educated. Um, my parents were very on top of saying, you know, or po- pointing out members in our family that really struggled with addiction. And they were like, look, let's learn from that. Let's not copy that. And, um, you know, fortunately, it sunk in. Um, uh, I was terrified, to be honest. I was terrified of habits that would grip me because of members of my family that were clearly, clearly predestined or, you know, um, genetically to go down certain paths. Um, but again, you're right. 100% the education, um, the D.A.R.E. program, I think, basically was not ever loved by the left. They don't like cops in school. They barely like SROs. Um, so as a result, they wanted to remove the D.A.R.E. program. I've worked with, as a school administrator, some awesome D.A.R.E. cops. And I mean it. They really took it to heart. And they would sit down and have wonderful conversations with the kids. The, the kids were required to um, write as part of the process and really display an understanding of what the police officer taught them throughout the year. And I got to tell you, it wasn't the kids that wanted the dare cops out of the schools. It was the left that wanted the dare cops out of the schools. And um, we need to put them back in there. I mean, you know, if you have dare cops and SROs, you know, it's a big difference. And the other thing is look at the positive um, feedback that that would give to the police departments. If you have a dare cop re- resume the role or even they don't always have to talk about drugs. They can talk about falling into, you know, gang activity, the, the, the worries of sex torsion or the worries of sex trafficking 
or the worries of those kinds of things. All the things that the, a cop is able to teach through things that he has seen or she, the kids could be certainly well more, uh, well more aware of what could befall them in, in life. And then you have SROs in schools as well. Um, I don't know. We, we know what, we know what needs to happen. You said it comes back to leadership. We need to go to Richmond. Uh, the guy that I'm planning to retire really has been sitting on his hands for 10 to 12 years while Virginia has really fallen into and fallen on some hard times with regard to the stuff that you and I have been talking about. And we have to draw a line in the sand and say, no, look, no longer. We have to stick up and we have to fight for these kids, their education, their future, their health, uh, the things that people are trying to target them for, uh, addiction and everything else. And I don't know, what is, what is the likelihood? I don't know. Do you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you know off the top of your head, you know, the likelihood of a given kid today becoming addicted to something? Uh, well, so the way that this works is um, there's a, a, a undoubtedly there's a, a genetic predisposition, a pre-uploading uh, yeah. that um, that people have, and that and that's true of really just everything in your life. When it, when, you know, we uh -huh. look at skin color, hair color, eye color, um, yeah. predisposition to cancers and things like that. And so there's a definite. Very rarely do you see a patient that has an addiction that did not have addiction somewhere else in their their family line. So that's the first part yeah. with it. And so when we talk about the disease of addiction, it's a primary chronic progressive disease. It never gets better over a period of time, period. Okay. And so what it comes down to is that the people that have that predisposition towards addiction, it is what it is. It's it's there. And it, it people that get into long-term recovery understand that. And they understand that they cannot use um, mood-altering substances safely ever and when you understand that the addiction is really a disease of the mind and the body the mind and the body and the, i could go on for hours and i've folks just in case you're wondering i have a whole nother podcast that talks about that one single subject and uh when people understand that and they understand that this really is not an issue of be good or bad behavior, moral behavior, immoral behavior, but um, the fact that you have this disease that um, you tend to to get because uh, addiction takes over in a person's life and it gets worse and worse and worse. But it, it's it's things in our life that cause us to want to get that euphoria and and, and escape and sort of check out from life. Then and we have to deal with those issues, and that's a whole nother slate of of things to talk about. You know what? Why is it that somebody wants to not be present and not be able to live in the in the present moment? Well, you know that's another issue to discuss. But when it comes to the the physical part and the mental part of addiction, it's there. Um, it, you know, if you have that predisposition, and once we understand that, then you you we can you give people the tools then to live a life. To not rely on those substances that will progressively destroy their lives, ultimately to their death, ultimately because that's that's yeah. the end result of addiction. I know that that's a, a very cliff note version of the answer to your question, Mike. But I know that in my own personal life, that once I understood what I just explained to you right here, then and only then did I start getting um, periods of sobriety in my own life. In my own life. And, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, I mentioned that my parents kind of drilled it into my head that the, the benefit there for me is the fact that I knew my pedigree. You know, a lot of kids I deal with because it ran in your family. But, yeah. But there are kids that are adopted that have no idea what their familial makeup was. So they don't understand. So it's almost like, you know, they're almost like a loaded gun waiting for that to happen. Uh, and, and, you know, I have some knowledge i'm very close to people who adopted children whose parents were clearly addicted but those kids unless the parents divulge that won't know that so i mean are we better armed by knowing our background than you know than not knowing it i, I hope i hope i would say yes um you know but but kids today whether they fall into like you mentioned before you and i were talking about process addiction with gambling um, or a substance addiction, I mean addiction, excuse me, process addiction and substance addiction. The other thing that kids are falling into today, unfortunately, are the visual things. The, the, the video game addiction, video gaming 
even recognized by the WHO. And so all we keep doing is we're really neglecting to recognize that our kids are really being targeted by these TikToks and Snapchat and Fortnites and Minecraft and all of this stuff. And then you add to it the other process and substance addictions, and they're getting attacked from three different fronts. And, um, you know, unless we elect people that understand how to protect children and how paramount that is, we're, we're going to keep going forward into the abyss. And um, so we need to put the brakes on. And I certainly want to do that in my district. Um, I want folks to understand, you know, my background in education is not myopic. It's just that it is something like you mentioned, you know, you, you kind of gave me some affirmation here. Education really can help people tackle a lot of the ills that we face in society, if not all. So, I mean, from obesity to, um, you know, uh, gambling, whatever it might be, you know, education is at the forefront of helping people um, overcome these things or the desire, right? So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And we can do it. Governor Yunkin, if you're listening, this is the stuff that we need to do. This is the stuff that we need to do. And folks, uh, I can tell you right now, if you live in Mike's district, the 28th, we're in mine in the 33rd. Again, what it comes down to is, who do you want leading you in Richmond, in the House, in the Senate? Who do you want? Do you think these people are equipped to do it? I don't think so. Uh, Jennifer? I know. Holla, if you'd like to come on onto this program and explain to us what your plan is to deal with these issues, I'd be more than happy to have you come on the the podcast. Bring them on. And Mike, isn't your your kickoffs coming on soon? It is. Uh, Thanks for asking. It is next Saturday night, uh, February 18th. It's 630 at the Harbor Grill down in Woodbridge. And so please come on by and and stop and talk to us. I'd love to talk to you next Saturday night. this isn't a plug, uh, you know, a solicited plug, but certainly understand that um, whether you're listening uh, to me or Michael, running for office isn't free. And we need your help um, financially, certainly. Um, please back us. Please come to Michael's um, kickoff and let it be just that. I know that I got a nice shot in the arm from my kickoff financially. We, we, we do things. We buy signs. We buy literature. We want to get our message out. And it's pretty critical that our supporters are on, on board. Uh, Mike Van Meter. Um, Mike, I'm not saying it's just because we become friends. I, I really think you are the person to lead that 33rd. And I can't wait to go to your kickoff next week. It's going to be fun. My wife and I are really excited. So yeah, I'm excited too. And you're gonna you're gonna get up and, and talk too. So if you want to meet Mike, if you want to meet uh, myself, and and some others, and a lot of our friends are gonna be there. Uh, uh, many of whom are candidates themselves. Come on down. It's you know what? Come down. You're gonna be able to meet not just me, but a number of candidates. And uh, it, you know what? We'll be there all night. We'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. So do that. Right. And so Mike, uh, tell everybody your website. How can they get hold of you? Okay, so my, mine is uh, AllersForVASenate.com. AllersForVASenate.com. That's A-L-L-E-R-S for VASenate.com. Um, we're off and running. I have, what the, today, I think after today, I have 84 days till my primary. Ooh. My primary is going to be a firehouse primary on May 6th. Not the most ideal condition. Um we have the magnificent seven counties of Spotsylvania, Orange, Green, Madison, Culpeper, Rappahannock, and Fauquier counties. And we're going to have right now, because I fought for it, we're going to have three voting sites. They were going to have two. They were going to require a voting card. We battled that and got rid of that. So right now it's May 6th from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Please put your DDR on and tape the Kentucky Derby. Uh, please pray for rain. So soccer and little league are canceled that day. (laughs) Pray uh, for rain. (laughs) I really need, I really need everyone there. And it's going to be a game of inches. I get more folks to that poll than my opponent. And 
Uh, I really do believe we have a very solid shot, Mike. Um, we just got to get folks on board and folks, hopefully they can clear their schedule for that day yeah. and jump on. Folks, there's no excuse. There's no, you show up on election day. Uh, and uh, I tell you what, next next episode, we're going to talk about how one of the things that Mike are going to do is we're going to get back to an election day, folks. That's another issue for another day, but we're going to get, we got to get yeah. rid of this election season. Got to get rid of that. Oh, but, but that's awesome. And then for me, uh, vanmeterforvirginia.com. So for uh, Virginia, uh, vanmeterforvirginia.com. Uh, check right. that out. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, all those good sites. And folks, Mike, I've really enjoyed having you on, and I look forward to seeing you next I, week. I can't wait. Um, it's going to be a good time, and I hope your listeners jump on board. I mean, you have people in, in other states, so yeah. Um, Certainly, in one of those days, one of these days, tell your listeners that story. That was pretty cool. But um, I can't wait to be there, and um, let's get you headed headed in the right direction. And again, folks, this isn't just because you know Mike is my friend. It's because I totally and thoroughly think he's the best candidate for Northern Virginia. If you're on the left, if you're on the right, Mike started out this this podcast asking questions. How do you feel? You know, do you really want the folks that are currently there, you know, in charge of our state, affecting your children's lives, um, making the rules that bring addiction so closely into our lives or uh, demoralized police departments? Do we want his competition, those two folks that he's potentially running against, who will at least one will be eliminated through a primary? But do we really want one of those folks who are just going to be vested in status quo kind of uh, movement or even less than that, letting that ball fall behind the line of scrimmage even further. Do we really want those folks or do we want that ball to move forward and to bring our police departments, our schools and the futures of our children to where they can be rather than where they're receding to. So got to make sure that happens. Absolutely. Very well said. And Mike, you are the man out there. You are the man out there to do it. So folks, uh, Mike, actually, uh, although I do have a primary, there's no other Republican candidates. So if you are a Republican and you're listening and you're thinking about running for the Senate, you better hurry up. Better hurry up because I'm going unopposed right now. Uh, so time's running out. Step up to the plate. If, if you've got it in you, do it. Uh, uh, Miss Foy, Miss Ayala, I'm looking forward to competing against one of you two. But Mike, you're the man out there in the 28th district, and uh, I can't wait for the for May 6. That's going to be a great. That's that's going to be a great time out there, and I can't wait to celebrate. So with that, folks, uh, thanks again for joining us here on the Mike Van Meter Show. And again, you know what? Keep your head up. Things are going to get better. It will. This is America, and this is Virginia. It's going to get better because we're going to make it better and we're going to do it together, folks. So until next time, look forward to talking with you. Here we go. Election season. See you soon. <laughs>